Of course, it's not a secret that this war is waged not only uh, by Russia, not only against Ukraine, but probably against the West and the EU in particular, Europe in particular. And uh, if Ukraine defeats, it will be, I think, a moral disaster, especially if after that defeat, EU will again have some like business as usual with Russia. That will be a huge moral defeat and that will just cancel any any like those values that we mentioned that we mean when we say about some european values so that that will be the defeat of the west Hello and welcome to Think Atlantic, a series by IRI's Transatlantic Strategic Division, in which we provide you thought leadership of the future of the transatlantic space. My name is Thibaut Muzerg and I am your host for this show. In today's episode, as promised last week, I would like to take some time to talk with you about the war of aggression that Vladimir Putin is waging in Ukraine. Uh, and to do this, I am joined by two very special guests, uh, Solomia Bobrovska and Maria Tomak. Uh, both are Ukrainian. Solomia is a member of parliament, where she's, between other things, deputy head of Ukraine's delegation to the NATO Parliamentary Assembly. And she is also the former governor of Odessa region. Uh, Maria is a Ukrainian uh, human rights activist, journalist, coordinator, and co-founder of the Media Initiative for Human Rights. She has been appointed by President Volodymyr Zelensky as head of the National Office of the Crimea Platform Department, which was set up to better respond to the ongoing occupation of Crimea, respond to growing security threats, prevent further human rights violations in the occupied territories, and end the occupation of Crimea so that the Ukrainian government regains control uh, of the peninsula. Solomia, Maria, I think both of you right now have a zillion other things uh, and important things to do. So I'm really, really thankful that you took the time to join us today and to talk to us about what is happening right now in your country. We really appreciate it. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So let me start by asking you about the situation in Ukraine. And I know that it is that Ukraine is a big country and the situation is very different today, depending on whether you sit in Kharkiv, in Odessa, in Mariupol or in Lviv or, or in Poland, for that matter. I, I know both of you are, are currently in Ukraine, so it is important to know what happens on the ground more than two weeks into the war. So uh, my question is very simple. What is the situation how is the morale on your side and, and what are you preparing for in the coming hours and the, and, and the coming days? Uh, maybe I'll give the floor to Maria and then Solomia. Uh, okay, I might start. Um, so hello and thank you for having me here. Uh, currently, I'm in Lviv. Um, this city is in the western Ukraine and it's uh, more or less safe. Uh, if we may say so in the current situation where actually the whole territory of Ukraine is non-safe, unsafe. Uh, but uh, this city, which is known like for its um, West uh, European vibe and the architecture and so on and so forth, currently looks uh, very much different from, from that Lviv that I used to know in more peaceful times. So it looks like the city in the roar, I would say. There's lots of 
IDPs that are obviously IDPs, people with like luggage, with the bags, with, with the backpacks and so on. And the uh, city is like very much overwhelmed with, with the people. Uh, and even according to the official information, there are 200,000 of IDPs currently in Lviv. Uh, this city is usually has 1 million about uh, inhabitants. So, and these are not everyone, of course, because not everyone is registered. So it's like very, uh, at least uh, 200,000. But in reality, there's much, much more people. So uh, I would say that uh, uh, generally... Um, the situation in Ukraine getting worse in terms of uh, humanitarian situation. Um, uh, Russian army did not manage to to take to to size um, no, none of the big cities big big cities in Ukraine. Uh, however, uh, there's a siege uh, of Kyiv to some extent, uh, so it's surrounded by the by the army, uh, according at least to the information that is available in the public. So the, the, the worst situation is, of course, in Mariupol when you have thousands of people who cannot flee and that remain without the heat, although it's quite cold still in Ukraine, it's minus eight in the night uh, in Mariupol. In Mariupol. Um, so there is no heat, there's no water, there's no electricity, there's uh, lack of food and people are staying in the basements. And I think that this information is all over the place. Uh, but of course, for us, uh, we can feel it more dramatic uh, because uh, these are all like some of these people they're our relatives or like our friends or friends of our friends, whatever. So now it's like it's being perceived as 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 the, the, the drama and as the catastrophe for the whole nation, I would say. However, I should say that throughout all these like 16 days, um, Ukraine was doing great. Uh, like everyone is very much united, the whole society, everyone is doing something for, for the victory in order to win this war. Um, and it depends on, on what, what, what is the capacity of this person. Of course, lots of people had to flee the country and they left to Poland, to like to Hungary, to, to Slovakia, to Germany, to other countries. And there's at least uh, as far as uh, I'm aware of, uh, not less than 2 million people that had to flee, and I, I think that this number is going to, to grow. But still, lots of people, they make this conscious decision to stay and to fight. And I'm really impressed with my like co-patriots who stay, for instance, in Kyiv. And I see every day these um, photos and these um, posts in Facebook, in other social media of like indeed proud people, very young, very like progressive, great, talented, successful people who stay in Kyiv because it's their city and they choose to kind of defend it in a way that they are able to do, although they are not like military people or not the part of the territorial defense. So um, I, I think that despite all the complicities that um, the, the idea that Ukraine has already won this war is, is uh, fair. Uh, although we need more support from the uh, Western countries and there's like some requirements and demands from Ukraine that are all over the place. And I, I, I will not hesitate to repeat that we need to, to close the sky uh, that, so that our sky is closed by, by our allies. Uh, we need more uh, weapons. We need um, air defense. We need uh, uh, fighter jets. Uh, of course, we need humanitarian support, but... Uh, 
at the same time, we do get lots of support from the West, which is important. And I think that one of the most important things that we've been discussing with you prior to, to the recording is that we need to also understand that the problem will not be removed even after uh, Putin collapses and he and Shoigu and other uh, like friends um, of and other war criminals who are currently sitting in the Kremlin. So we need to like think strategically uh, what uh, is going to happen next and what the international community should do with with the Russian Federation. Okay, uh, we, we will get back to what we need to do in, in the next few minutes, in the next few questions. We, we unfortunately have lost uh, Solomia's connection, so I, I will get back to her if and when she, she can uh, reconnect. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, Maria, we, we have talked about present, but I think it's important to understand what's going on right now in Ukraine, uh, or at least why the Russians have been foolish enough to come and attack you with all their might, we might want to get back to the past. And, and in reality, the aggression that Russia is, is waging on, on Ukraine started in 2014 with the occupation of Crimea and the war in the Donbass. Do you have the feeling that this attack on Ukraine is, is just like something completely different? Or you do, do you see a continuum, a continuity between this war, obviously a very violent escalation, and what has been going on since 2014? Definitely. Um, thank you for uh, covering that uh, issue, because uh, I oftentimes I hear that uh, about this escalation of the war, about this big war, so to say, as uh, um, like it started just like a few weeks ago, but it's not. It's actually it started at least with the occupation of Crimea, at least in the territory of Ukraine. But we do understand and we do recall the uh, occupation of uh, parts of Georgia. And we do remember about Transnistria in the back in the beginning of 1990s. And there's like a huge risk now that Ukraine will be attacked uh, from, the, from the Transnistria. And, and there, as there are some Russian forces there, um, at least of officers uh, for sure. Uh, so, and uh, also I would like maybe to comment more on Crimea, but now I see that Solomia is in touch. Maybe we can give her the floor just to make sure that she's able to. Yes, if, if, if I might. Thank you, Marichka. It's my pleasure to be with you and thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to talk about our war. And uh, I just came yesterday to um, uh, Ukrainian-Belarus border and we, we thought this night will be horrifying for the for the northern and western part of Ukraine. Uh, we're still waiting for this opening, the second front uh, from the Belarus, uh, even though their troops, especially land forces and special operation forces are already in Ukraine and working on Zhitomir and the um, Kyiv uh, direction. But uh, about the question, if it's the continuation of the escalation, uh, I would say that this war is the finishing of uh, Putin's dream to make Soviet Union again uh, big and great together. Uh, this year, Putin will be 70 years old, and this year is the Soviet Union is uh, uh, will be 100 years of, of its um, establishing. And uh, there's so much like the symbolic dates and symbols in what they are doing and when they are doing. This year, I, was, I think, it will be terrifying for Moldova as well, for Georgia, even though the nation is supporting Ukraine. But the government uh, does not, and they cannot explain why they do not um, uh, support the sanctions against the Russian government. I think that would be the next very, very soft and very 
Uh, it could be very soft and very silent uh, annexation of Georgia as well because of the total Russian government and Ivanishvili um, as the Russian oligarch. So no one knows what the step, what next steps he will take. But it's uh, Maria was right. Uh, this is almost the finishing of his big dreams since '90s when he started to shake Moldova. So I, I think we can understand from, from what we hear from, from both of you that the, the morale is high in Ukraine, despite the sufferings of the, of the, of the Ukrainian people. I think what you said about, you know, Putin's dream of, of uh, you know, uh, wanting to recreate the USSR actually, and unfortunately, it was a bit prescient, but we, we did actually record a, an episode of Think Atlantic back in January on this very topic with Sam Green. So I, I encourage our listeners to get, to get back to it when, whenever they can. But uh, Solomia, Allow me, uh, while I have you here on the phone, allow me to, to ask you uh, a question because we were talking about the situation and the morale of the troops and Maria was giving us a, a sort of uh, overview also on the civilian the civilian side, but I know that you are very involved uh, in, in, in the military side of the, of the conflict. If I understand well, you also volunteered in the, uh, in the Ukrainian army. Everybody has been, frankly, uh, uh, extremely surprised by the courage of the, of the Ukrainian army and its capacity to, to absorb the shock, because I mean, when when the when the Russian army comes in, uh, even though they have a whole lot of problems, it is still a huge shock to to take. How how is the morale right now among you guys in the troops? How and I, I mean, obviously you, you you feel that you're you are going to win this war, but w what is the situation from a military perspective? No, first of all, I want to say that really they are—they uh, finally got the, uh, like. Uh, if you if you know our armed forces, and if you go ever go to um, went to front line on the east, um, lots of people know that um, our soldiers were waiting for the war because the the worst time for soldiers and for the army just to sit and wait uh, up till attacks um, will start. Uh, and now what I see, especially in special operation forces, uh, because I communicate a lot with them. Uh, and uh, even in, uh, with the land forces, they are totally ready. They are like they are working 24/7. They are concentrated. They are uh, actually involved. They are ready totally 100% uh, uh, for their actions. Uh, what they said to me, like you know, the war has come. This is our job. Please just help us on our uh, backwards. Uh, and they all understand the state are doing the best their service to armed forces. And I'm really pleasantly not surprised, but I'm proud of how, what, what kind of the mood um, our forces have and uh, how they show in the whole world how they can be so effective. And by the way, that's, that's why we're asking about actually uh, every time about non-fly zone or to, to close the sky because the land forces or the guys who are working on the land, they are so efficient here. And we can do, like, we will do our battles by ourselves. Just help us with, uh, with the sky or with the jets, you know, that we can do our defense by ourselves. Okay, I'm going to get back to what 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 the West can do, but but first of all, I would like very quickly. We don't need to spend that much time on this, but I think we we, we need to talk about that, uh, even though very quickly. One of the things that I find remarkable: you guys are under attack, and I mean, we see the situation in Kharkiv, in Mariupol, in other places, are absolutely horrendous. Um, but and and yet, democratic life has not been paused in the country. Uh, Maria, you continue in your uh, your your work that the 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 the, the president uh, uh, entrusted you with. 
with uh, uh, Solomia Parliament actually convened a few days ago to discuss the most urgent developments and to, to pass uh, new legislation to adapt to the war. Uh, and this is, you know, something that is that, that that is remarkable because the narrative the Kremlin tried to impose in the West was that Ukraine was not a democracy. Ukraine was uh, extremely corrupt, was the most was the most corrupt in the world. And yet, you know, what we're seeing this, to, what we're seeing today is a remarkable uh, resilience of democracy and people so attached to democracy. Doesn't it contrast with the images that you see and that we see coming from the Kremlin with one man, one man sitting on his own and taking decisions for the for the whole country at the you know one end on a very of a very long table? Maria, you want to start? Uh, yes, sure. Um, first of all, uh, all this uh, mythology that was uh, circulating um, from the side of the Kremlin related to Ukraine, it's not, of course, it's not started today or yesterday. It started um, long before that. Uh, I won't go like into like deeper past, but uh, just look at the Maidan event. So that was the point where uh, this troll, Russian troll factory started to operate in a very aggressive manner um, and they were spreading this uh, um, image uh, and this understanding like false understanding that Maidan is also a fascist enterprise and uh, all that stuff and of course they were continuing to do that when we uh, had like Poroshenko as a president and they thought that they can do something uh, when Zelensky won but they didn't manage to do anything because Zelensky proved to be like uh, from the Russian point of view, a nationalist, a Ukrainian nationalist. Uh, so therefore, um, of course, I mean, I, I would not even uh, comment uh, on this uh, Russian, Russian lies uh, regarding uh, Ukrainian radicals and nationalists. But of course, we all have to understand that when you have a, a war, such a large scale war in the country, of course, you have to uh, give up some of the like democratic um, stuff that you, you had uh, prior to that. Um, but I should say that uh, Ukraine is doing that, uh, as, as, as I see it now, in a very um, like polite manner, I would say. Um, I'm not aware of any um, like very um, significant uh, human rights abuses that are taking place, but we all understand that some of those might happen. But as of now, I think we're like we're doing great, uh, also because. A society is very much, as, as we've discussed already, is, is very much mobilized uh, over this whole idea of uh, survival and of uh, defeating uh, Russia, Russian, Russian army. Uh, but uh, in general, I believe we're doing that great. So, Solomia, how, how does it feel to be the member of parliament convening in, 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 in military fatigues and, 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 you know, convening in a parliament at times of war? I mean, how, how exceptional do you feel that your work is or, or is it more work as usual? Uh, no, the work is not very usual, uh, totally unusual, I would say. Um, but you have to understand that except the um, uh, diplomatic um, 
front. That's lots of work with the constituency, with the people, with the, with the helping, assisting, and so on and so on. Lots of panic are even in the western part of Ukraine. Lots of people want to move because they're afraid. And yesterday, by the way, um, um, about our my, my native region, Rivna region, was the um, uh, Russian jet flying uh, and attacking the Belarus with the air bomb. Nevertheless, we are all working. We are all ready to go to Kyiv. We were in Kyiv last week voting and no one can stop us from doing our legitimate work. We are all here in Ukraine. No one has left uh, except the uh, business trip to uh, European Parliament. Um, they, they have their work to, to do, but we are staying with our people and we will hear up till, up till the, our victory. That's first of all. The second, uh, I just wanted to add to Maria, um, except mytholo Russian mythology that uh, here uh, Ukrainians will meet Russians with the, um, with the flowers and that's a part of Russian mentality and so on. Uh, for me, it was really not interesting, but um, strange to, to uh, open and uh, to explore that uh, the Western countries used to put Ukraine under Russian umbrella, that we will never uh, lead after the West, that we will, we will not be the same as the European or Western countries. And now what they see that what they actually see that Ukraine is fighting, Ukraine is fighting more for the values, but not talking. And um, that's I think finally the result uh, of the the total mark for Ukraine: who we are, where we're going, uh, and which way we we decide to to move forward. Thank you. If I may add, sorry, one one more important thing when it comes to the. Uh, to this democratic setup of Ukraine, um, aside of uh, indeed the fact that uh, Ukrainian uh, members of the parliament are staying in Ukraine and they go to Kiev in order to have like uh, to vote, aside of the fact that the key governmental people, including the president, the um, ministers, uh, the, minister, the, the minister of the defense and, and other ministers are also in Kiev. I think it's very important to look at um, how the heads of the communities are with their people. And that, you know, that impresses me so much. Um, I mean, those small cities around Kyiv that has been under the attack of the Russian army and Kadyrov groups. Uh, so you can see that um, some of the heads of the communities are wounded. Some of them are dead. Um, the day before yesterday, the uh, mayor of um, Melitopol, which is in eastern, eastern southern Ukraine, was kidnapped because he was there with his community. He was coordinating the humanitarian aid and all of those communities communications and he was trying to support his community. I think it's about very much about this also European kind of nature of Ukraine when you have the communities and those people who are like the heads of this community, they're very much interlinked with the people. They have this connection and, and they have this responsibility. It is very remarkable. And I, I would say that these people are also heroes of, of this war just because they stay and they do support. They, they don't flee they choose to, to stay. Mm -hmm. indeed, indeed, and the local government is something that we at IRI uh, have been really uh, trying to support as much as we could uh, in Ukraine, but not only, and, and, and we understand that uh, 
you know, when, when it comes to war, it's not all, the, the military is, of course, extremely important, but uh, the home front and the, the front line, the civilian population, those people who are mm-hmm. suffering are, are, are extremely, uh, it's extremely important to have, to have people who are, uh, who have these, as you said, European, European values, uh, and that they are, they are, they are capable of doing, of doing their job, which is, frankly, I, I personally, I'm not sure. I would be able to uh, to do it the way they do. So uh, kudos to them. Um, my next question to you both is going to be simple. Since the war started, we have seen, frankly, what has been uh, a remarkable uh, movement of solidarity from the West, uh, coming from ordinary people uh, who are, I think were genuinely shocked, not only by the war but by the the brutality of of, of, of Russian of the, of the Russian army, but also from governments. And I know they haven't done as much from your point of view as they should have, but but there have been some remarkable developments in inside Europe over the past over the past couple of weeks. Uh, whether it is about uh, a political will for for European defense, NATO contributions, the decoupling of the Western and Russian economies, which by the way should have been done a long time uh, a long time ago but but anyway there have been some resources some, some remarkable devi- developments but here i realized that i'm talking about you know the european union's own internal stuff and the emergency right now is actually in ukraine so quick and clear question to both of you what does ukraine need from the west maybe from the governments and from the citizens uh in, in europe and north america who wants who wants to help I- i'm going to give the floor to Slomia first and then to maria so um, I'll be very short uh, and just want to say that they are remarkable because there is for the first time ever in the 21st century we see the, the really huge war on the, almost in the center of Europe. And the only thing we, we ask that is to uh, establish non-fly zone the first, then jets for our armed forces and then air, anti-air missile system. Uh, because defending the sky, we could help, um, uh, we could help civilians. And to make easier the work for our armed forces. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Solomia. That was very, very short and very clear. Uh, do you want to add something, Maria? Uh, yes, um, uh, of course, those uh, demands that was um, mentioned by Solomia, these are the key demands, especially in the terms of military uh, aspect. Uh, I would also like to add some of the other economical uh, demands that comes from, from Ukraine uh, to uh, cut Sberbank, Russian Sberbank, off from the SWIFT because it hasn't been done. Then uh, also one of the key uh, demands which... Uh, which is very complicated for some of the European countries in particular, is to stop purchasing oil from from Russia. Hopefully it will happen, but we need it faster than into uh, in 2027. We all understand that. Also, a ban uh, Russian ships from the ports, uh, from all the possible ports. And finally, freeze the hard currency uh, of Russian Federation financial institutions, in uh, some of the like key uh, jurisdictions like the US, uh, Switzerland, Japan, uh, UK, a- and the EU. So that's more or less the, the list that is currently on the table, uh, which is uh, all over the place and which is uh, which comes from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and uh, other Ukrainian uh, agencies and the, the state in general. But also, I think, again, I would like just to echo the, the conversation that we had. I I think that what we also need um, and what is important um, 
And it's not up to the government, it's up to the um, civil society, academia, intellectuals in the whole world is to rethink um, the, um, so to say, Russian cultural and uh, intellectual heritage. Uh, we had, like in recent years, we had all this movement, uh, um, the Black Lives Matter. I think that we need also to say something like that Ukrainians' life matter and the lives of the other countries and nations that were somehow colonized, whatever you call it, by, by Moscow, and to go back to Russian culture, to Russian literature, and to look at all these items uh, through this uh, post-colonial lens and to rethink it. Um, so I don't suggest any like radical means or, you know, all this, like something that might sound controversial, but I do think that world is uh, like was misled very much uh, by Soviet propaganda first, but then by Russian propaganda. And like lots of people, unfortunately, they have no idea what Russia is. And I think it's high time to finally get to know what, what Russia is. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I'm no way a woke person, but I, I've always uh, found that the, the, the argument was interesting. So uh, certainly this idea of decolonization, which is something that I know is, is, is very um, is something that you hear very much in, in, in those countries that was that was subjected to uh, Soviet uh, uh, Soviet and, and, and Russian imperial occupation uh, in, in the past. This is something that needs to be explored. For my, I have one last question to you both, and I know I know that time is uh, time is precious. So I, I would like to um, to focus here on, on on the battle of information that is uh, that is uh, still raging right now on social media and elsewhere. Um, right now, it looks like most of the the Kremlin's assets in in the West, at least those that were fed by Sputnik, Russia Today, um, and, and and the others, have gone silent or or, or have become much more uh, marginal. Although you still have uh, voices right now that claim. Uh, that we we should not be in a, in any sort of conflict with Russia. What you can see, though, is that here and there, you know, some of these voices are reemerging very often via WhatsApp groups or or, or, or uh, Telegram or Signal channels. And, and for me, there is no doubt that after a couple of weeks, those voices are going to become more confident, and they. I'm pretty sure that they're going to organize and they will try to impose a narrative that, you know, we've already all heard, but but which might become more potent with, with time. Uh, you know, it's the usual stuff. This war is not ours. Why should we meddle in a conflict that is happening in a galaxy far away? This is costing us way too much in terms of energy prices, et cetera, et cetera. I would like to ask you as Ukrainians, what do you answer? What, what is your answer to these to these narratives of you know people saying the way this is not the West's war, we shouldn't get involved whatsoever? I'm going to give the first the floor first to Maria and then and then to Slomia for conclusion. Oh, definitely. I agree with you that uh, it's a threat uh, that somehow uh, people will get used to, to this war, uh, wherever bloody it uh, might be. Uh, so I think that maybe two theses that uh, comes to my mind immediately. First one is that um, this war is not 
far away from from Europe, from from you and from the West. It's really nearby, and I just uh, some time ago in my in the some other in, uh, talk or interview, I mentioned that uh, I was in Chechnya in 2016, and I had to face there the, some of the Kadyrov guys, and it was very terrifying, and I could not even think at that moment that's an at some point, these guys are going to appear near my hometown, near Kyiv. So it was unimaginable, absolutely. But now it is. So Kadyrov guys are in Bucha, just nearby Kyiv. And so at, at some point, they may appear in the EU as well, especially that we know that some of the Russian opposition leaders, including Chechen leaders, were just killed in the territory of EU. And that was, I mean, it's clearly somehow linked to the Russian government. So it's not like somewhere far away. It's very close. And it's an obvious argument. The other argument is maybe more complicated. Um, but I think that... Um, of course, it's not a secret that this war is waged not only uh, by Russia, not only against Ukraine, but probably against the West and the EU in particular, Europe in particular. And uh, if Ukraine defeats, it will be, I think, a moral disaster, especially if after that defeat, EU will again have some like business as usual with Russia. That will be a huge moral defeat and that will just cancel any any like those values that we mentioned that we mean when we say about some european values so that that will be the defeat of the west uh, absolutely and uh, I, I i don't want to live in in the europe like that to be honest well, that's that's a very very strong statement. I think strong words uh, that that we needed to hear. Solomia, do you want to? Yes, yes. I just want to say that uh, if West or Europe uh, just um, come can come um, observe what's going on here, uh, like and I know it's comfortable to watch the war online, um, and if it's okay for them uh, to give Russia. Uh, to establish new world order, so okay, there is no 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 reason for for you or for 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 Europe to join. So you just give up and you solve your problems by our thanks to our ter territory to our territory, Georgia and Moldova. That's the easiest way. So there is no need to say about the democracy values and so on and so on. So that's that's the total uh, uh, bullshit. But no actions uh, behind these words. And uh, no one is promising, even to Baltic states, that if they'll be the next, or, or Poland, NATO will stay, or the West will stay um, behind uh, behind them. Uh, if to be honest, uh, no one uh, no one can understand one them why yesterday such um, which flew up till the uh, the Croatia was not prevented by any anti missile system from Hungary or from Croatia or from Romania, by the way. So it it means how the security. The system works now. So my my key argument is now that uh, if they if you're allowing just to to establish new world order, so just be be honest with us that we have to uh, we have to fight by ourselves. If not, that's about that. Um, we have to establish new anti-Kremlin coalition and to fight up till the end because Russia knows they are allowing to move forward and that's why they are doing that. 
Thank okay. you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Lomia. And, and thank you very much, Maria, for uh, for your time. I'm afraid we're, we're running out of time and I know you have plenty of things to do. So we, we're going to, to leave it there. I want to thank you both once again for uh, the time you took to, to, to tell us about what is going on in Ukraine right now. Uh, I think it is more important than ever to tell the story of how things are really going in the country uh, so that we don't forget and so that we can help uh, as, as you fight the good fight for Ukraine's freedom and dignity. If you want to follow our guests on Twitter, uh, you can find Solomia at, at Bobrovska underscore MP and Maria at Maria Tomac. And I also encourage you to follow the Crimea platform, which is at Crimea platform. Their uh, website is uh, crimea-platform.org uh, uh, slash EN. Uh, and uh, we didn't talk so much about this project, but it, it is it is a, a fascinating one. So I really encourage you to, to visit it. Um, you should also definitely follow the Ukraine government uh, Twitter and social media account. I think, you know, Zelensky, Zelensky YUA is probably the most famous, but there are many others. And finally, IRI has been active in Ukraine historically for years, for decades, and, and we have been uh, very uh, focusing on, on local government and, and, and public opinion, among other things. You can follow at work at the usual address, IRI.org for the website, and IRI Global at Think Atlantic on Twitter. And our Ukraine country director, Mike Druckmann, is at Mike Druck. I also encourage you to follow him on um, Twitter. Uh, this is the end of this episode of Think Atlantic, the podcast that provides you with thought leadership for the future of the transatlantic space. Um, I would like to thank Brianna Kerr and Romano Kinu, as usual, for producing this series. I also give my special thanks to Mike Druckmann and Alyssa Muzerg for helping prepare this uh, very special episode with the team. Their help and reactivity was really appreciated. We will be back uh, for our normal uh, agenda uh, in next week with a brand new episode on the uh, Mediterranean. And believe me, there is a link with Ukraine. We'll discuss that. But in the meantime, if you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show. And of course, share it with your friends and colleagues. We love it when we get more listeners. Thanks very much for listening in. Uh, talk to you soon and Slava Ukraini. Heroin Slava.